Hey everyone, it's Jacqueline Melanick. Welcome to Chain Reaction, a show that unpacks and dives deep into the latest trends, drama, and news with some of the biggest names in crypto, breaking things down block by block for the crypto curious. Today's guest is Luca Nett, CEO of Pudgy Penguins. And we also have TechCrunch Plus Editor-in-Chief Alex Wilhelm here, who bought a Pudgy Penguin earlier this week and wanted to ask Luca some questions with me. For context, Pudgy Penguins originally was known as an NFT collection that began in 2021 with 8,888 NFTs and has since grown its brand beyond that into a, quote, IP and brand development company. For context, Pudgy Penguins has had over $400 million in digital collectible sales. It created an open world digital player experience called Pudgy World, which we played on. And it also integrated blockchain technology with that. It also launched a toy line called Pudgy Toys, which on September 26th was available in over 2,000 Walmart stores in the U.S. And that is what we want to talk about most today, among the other things I mentioned. Anyways, Luca, welcome to the show. Jacqueline, I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, and Alex, it's always great to have you back on. A pleasure. I love that we're talking about plushies because it gave me an excuse to abuse my personal credit card to get myself a new toy. So here for it. <laughs> and we will get into that. Unfortunately, Alex's pudgy penguin did not arrive in time for recording. So we can't talk about that. But to start, Luca, you and I spoke back in May about the launch of Pudgy Toys. It's been about four months since that moment, and the toy line went live online with big platforms like Amazon. And as we mentioned, it's in stores like Walmart. And we've talked about this in the past, but can you tell us a little bit about how this transpired and why you decided to bring the digital world to the physical? Yeah, I think it ultimately stems through solving a couple problems that this industry is facing. I think the first one is just a growable, forecastable, and projectable revenue stream. I think if you've seen what has taken NFT projects to zero has been this Achilles heel of wanting to drive revenue and having no other ability than to make more NFTs, which ultimately becomes the expense of the greater community and the greater project. And so that's problem number one. And I think with the toy business, I can forecast that I can grow that I can project that and it's built and it succeeds and fails based on our ability to work. And so I like business models that I control versus an Ethereum NFT royalty model is not a variable I can control. I can't control Ethereum price. I can't control what marketplaces do, and I can't control the market conditions on NFTs at this moment in time. And so that's problem number one. Problem two, I think, is meeting consumers where they are. And so I don't believe in this ready player one world that's going to happen anytime soon. And I'm a huge believer that digital collectibles are a huge disruptor to the $430 billion industry that is the collectible market. I think when you look at collectibles today, there's a ton of friction when it comes to inauthenticity issues, spoofing issues, no clarity on what's what, how many there are, what's the rarity of certain you know, issuances of these collectibles, the friction of buying and selling, insurance, shipping. When you look at digitally collecting, it's simply a better experience. And I think that's what NFTs have disrupted today. Now, when you look at it, from a consumer standpoint, however, you very much have to meet the consumer where they are. And right now, digital collectibles are still taboo. They're still intimidating. And so from our perspective, how do we create this gap and this bridge to get people familiar with our brand and our character that's not dependent on them being Web3 native or joining the blockchain or getting excited about this specific industry. And so when you look at what makes a collectible valuable, right, in, in its totality, the ones that have, we've seen great value over the course of time, 
you know, first edition Pokemon cards or something I like to reference, there's a huge backbone into what has brought in Pokemon to where it is. And a lot of that is their proliferation of their character and their brand and their story to the rest of the world. And so I have this thesis that because the Pudgy Penguin to me is the most universal character in the space, I believe it's not taboo. I believe it's not intimidating. How do you take this cute little character and invade the hearts and minds of millions of people and then ultimately just bring them down this funnel? And so top of the funnel is awareness. You know, middle of the funnel is desire and action. And then, you know, bottom of the funnel is do they become a collector and then do they become a fan? And that's kind of the way that we're looking at these things. So ultimately, I believe something as simple and maybe on its face may seem menial as a toy line, I think actually creates the roadmap and the growth pattern that I think ultimately leads these type of products to success. Okay, I have a question about the economics of NFT projects, because one thing, Luca, that I've been tracking has been the royalty debate amongst different NFT marketplaces. And there was a, a general idea, I think it seemed earlier on in the NFT era, that someone could make a piece of digital art, sell it as an NFT, and collect a royalty every time that it was sold again. In the case of Pudgy Penguins, if the royalty model had held up, would your company have been able to collect a longer-term kind of like cut of the sales of Pudgy Penguin NFTs between other collectors? And is that breakdown why so many NFT projects have struggled to monetize longer term? Yeah, I think it's ultimately it was a great business model and i thought it was one that was relatively fair now do i think brands and companies should be taking 7 to 10% on transactions no probably not but i think there's a happy medium in the royalty model that isn't 0.5% i personally think that number is between 1 and 2% but i think is that fair exchange of value between collector and brand you know one of the most beautiful things about the royalty model was really the incentive it gave creators you understand what made YouTube successful and Snapchat and all of these great platforms. It's really the monetization and the incentive model that you give creators. And to understand why that's so impactful is because creators go where the money is, like most people do, right? Whether you're a creator or not, whether you're a business person or no matter the industry that you're in, you typically are going to migrate to what's going to make you the most money in some sort of shape, way or form, unless you're some sort of you know anti-capitalism purist, which more power to you. But in this respect, if a creator is incentivized to build in Web3, the cost per CPM or, or the yield per thousand users or followers in this industry is 100 times that of any other industry. And the, the unfortunate part about the royalty models, because it, it, it now takes away some of that incentive that I think made this industry so great and brought so many creators to take their audiences into this industry. I think it's been a disaster for a majority of projects. You understand you know, capital valuations, yeah. venture capital, hitting certain forecasts and certain projections. Now that these royalties and this passive income stream has dissipated, there's a chink in the armor where now these businesses have to meet their revenue expectations. And the only way they know how to do that is through minting more collections, right. which ultimately hurts one person and the collector only. So it's a crazy <laughs> paradigm shift that I, I think is not to be underestimated. Yeah, I just want to say, though, that if you want to get into to business and not make any money, you don't have to be an anti-capitalist to do that. You can just found a media company and yeah. um, that'll solve it for you. Uh, but <laughs> I, I do have one more quick question on kind of the money side of this, because I have no idea about the economics of toys. Like, I, I just mm. don't. And if you're talking about 2,000 stores, you're talking about a lot of individual items. I was on Amazon. I had one of your plushies. I bought um, Sushi Pudgy, I think it was, mm -hmm. because I had a heart. It was very cute. Team Sushi. Yeah. Well, actually, I hate fish, but, you know, it, it's a cute concept, at least, even if I wouldn't want to actually <laughs> eat it. Are the economics of toys 
attractive as a business opportunity? Because we're talking about revenue, which is important, but also gross margins matter too, because not all revenue is made equal. So I'm curious, Luca, just from a high level, what are the economics like of doing toys? Yeah, is, is it 98% margin printing digital products to your community? No. You know, I referenced <laughs> this in a, uh, I referenced this in a space as yesterday, but I basically said, you know, what we're going to make on our Walmart toys is what people are making every day, minting new NFT collections, right? But ultimately what it does is it covers my burn and it gives me a model that if I continue to scale, I can grow and forecast and project. Now, am I going to make hundreds of millions of dollars in the next two years, you know, in the bank for the company selling toys? Probably not, right? But am I going to have a growable, forecastable, projectable revenue stream that's going to cover my burn and allow me to you know, grow the business in a fiscally responsible manner? Completely. And is it going to bring value and awareness to the character? Completely. You know, the toy to me is just as much a marketing tool as it is anything else, just as much as it is a revenue driver, it's really marketing, right? And so when you think about the, the thought process here and kind of what we're trying to accomplish, I really just want to dominate Mindshare today. We're at a point where we raised $9 million eight months ago. We have more money in the bank today than we did when we raised. I'm not, you know, money hungry and desperate in that respect. What I'm really desperate for is Mindshare. I just want to be the face of this. When you think NFTs, I want you to think Pudgy Penguins. And the more toys that we sell, the more collectibles that we sell, the more NFTs that are getting sold in the secondary, the more social content that goes viral and the more billions of views that we continue to get, that's how I'm going to win and succeed. And ultimately, it also tells a really great story, which if you really look and understand our North Star, a huge part of what we're trying to do at Pudgy Penguins is reinvent the IP business. And so when you look at you know, our toys, for example, those are NFTs that are licensed from the community. This is a new era in shaping how to business build and how to brand build, where it went from in the past for the last hundred years, it's been brand and consumer. And today with Pudgy Penguins, there's a new era of relationship. And that relationship is between brand and participant. If you're a first edition digital collector in our ecosystem, you have a chance to participate in toys and content and ideation and experiences that nobody else can be a part of. I think that's what's really beautiful about this. Luca, looking at the toys, how many have you sold to date? Like, what has the demand been like? Can you give us a number? Yeah, so we're on track to do $10 million in retail sales. Now, mind you, this is not $10 million in booked revenue for Pudgy Penguins. We probably sell the items to retailers with maybe 40 points a margin. So probably book that as $6 million revenue. And then we have partners in the licensing fee that we pay our holders, mm -hmm. you know, give or take, you know, hopefully on the $10 million, we make a million and a half, $2 million. And that's kind of how the numbers shake out. And that $10 million number, that's uh, for the next 12 months? Is that for the, like, what's the time? Yeah, that's until the end of the year. So from May to the end of the year is kind of what we're projected to do. And so right now we've done a really great job distributing. Uh, we have a great partner in PMI that kind of helps us make that mm -hmm. happen. We are about to launch, probably by the time this video launches, we're about to launch in Smith's, which is the UK's biggest toy store. We have Walmart. Uh, we have Five Below, FYE, Hot Topic. Hot Topic. Uh, we have Amazing. Yeah, Hot, is that? I'm sorry. I haven't been to a mall since I was a child. Is that still a thing? That's awesome. That's the, Hot Topic's that's not the, for children. <laughs> anyway, yeah. but is the focus here on appealing to current holders or appealing to mainstream audiences who might not have any clue that Pudgy Penguins is a part of a Web3 world, but it might give them the incentive to, you know, scan the QR code and then log on to Pudgy World? Yeah, I think when you're understanding our consumer strategy, it's very much a strategy of touch points and not trying to shove things down people's throats. I think the market, when it comes back around, will have that moment of 
your favorite athlete and your favorite celebrity and every influencer and their mom, you know, promoting and getting involved with NFTs. I know that moment will come again. And when that moment comes, I want to be perfectly positioned to be the most familiar. You know, what we're doing with the Pudgy Penguin toy, I think, is a couple things. The first one is create an emotional attachment between Holder and their family. I want to be the project and the, and the brand that the family gets around and participates in. The NFT and crypto culture has been a bro culture pretty much since day one. And if we really want to hit escape velocity and go into a different territory and really get hundreds of millions of people involved, then it has to be bigger than just boys, you know, gambling you know, on the internet token casino. And when you look at this stuff, we're kind of sometimes I think forget the fundamentals. You know, this is about ownership. This is about accessibility. This is about saying, hey, because I own this T-shirt that's on my back in the real world, it is mine. And if I'm in the digital world, that should remain true. If I spent my hard-earned money on these products, I should own these digital products the same way that I own this T-shirt. And that's really what we're trying to accomplish here. And so from a holder perspective, how do we get the family together? How do they feel proud of this brand that they wear as their digital identity? Because I think we, we do a really great job of doing that. How do we invade a next group of consumers, which if you're not familiar, cute consumers and collectors yeah. are the highest addressable market collector out there. Yeah. You know, how do we bring them in and get them involved? I want to dig more in on that point because the coolest yeah. thing that I saw from the plushy perspective, and I was doing my research yesterday, I've been to plushy world. I've been to the lobby. I have tried to climb the iceberg and fallen off. I so couldn't climb it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who designed your mini game, but tell them that maybe the difficulty could be toned down by 10%. Just saying. Um, but I'm very <laughs> curious about the connection between purchasing a, a plushie, which is why I'm sad mine didn't come in time for this show. So I couldn't do this myself. Buying a plushie to getting online and engaging with the digital side of the project. So can you just for listeners tell folks how people might go from, oh, I'm in Walmart. Oh, this is super cute. Oh, I bought it. And then getting to the online part of the brand. Yeah, so the hook here is we thought to ourselves, we're not only bringing Web3 IP to the real world, but how do we actually bring the technology in, the, in a form where you can just reach out to a shelf and grab it? Mm -hmm. And so every toy that you buy at Walmart comes with a birth certificate or a QR code attached to it on the tag. Mm -hmm. And when you open it up, you can scan that QR code and that QR code will basically give you a redemption code. You'll then be instructed to go to Pudgy World, sign up via an email and a password. Mm -hmm. And we did this through a whole custody wallet solution. And once you sign up, you'll get a wallet attached to this account that you just created. You'll then go to redeem your loot box. You'll type in the code that you scanned on your QR, and then you'll redeem three to five trades that are actually NFTs through a gasless experience, no cost to you. And so with a simple purchase of an $8 toy and three to four minutes of your time signing up through Pudgy World and going through the steps, you have now unlocked your NFTs or your first NFTs, hopefully, for nothing but a purchase of a toy. I think this reminds me a lot of Webkins. Did you play Webkins when you were a kid, Luca, by chance? Yeah, totally. I, I feel like it's, you know, a really great idea in the sense that it makes it accessible. Someone like maybe our Webkins were NFTs before we even knew it, honestly, because we had this online version and a real life version. And with Pudgy Penguins, in the same sense, you get that experience without the word NFT being shoved in their faces. And then, as you mentioned, there's the marketplace on the second hand, which I know Alex had some questions about too. So I just pulled up my, my pudgy world, my igloo, and people can't see you right now, but as Luca records with us, he's sitting behind a, a very large igloo logo light up wall ornament, it appears. So the igloo brand is kind of like your home in pudgy world. And I do have, yeah. for example, a polar bear hat and a cowboy hat inside my igloo. Now, 
The way that I think about NFTs, because you mentioned those might be NFTs in a gasless experience, is that it is something that is, in fact, entirely distinct and unique to me, like Pudgy Penguin number 134, whatever. The polar bear hat, the cowboy hat, to me, are probably things that many people can get. So how should I think about small add-ons, traits, or kind of like things in Pudgy world that are not rare? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the beauty of the integration here is you can either get traits through two ways, buying them on secondary or purchasing more toys and scanning QR codes to unlock all the traits and kind of, you know, maybe score mythical traits and things like that. Now, I will say, and you probably see this, Alex, but for the first 30 to 45 days, there actually is no marketplace built into Pudgy World. And the reason why, as we learned with Amazon, people were buying hundreds and hundreds of toys and returning them after they scanned the QR code and then selling the traits in the secondary. And the last thing I wanted to do was show Walmart, uh, you know, give Walmart a bad Web3 and NFT impression and just have a bunch of DGENs going to the store, scanning the QR codes, and then uh, not doing what they're supposed to be doing and, and sending them back. So it's very crypto coded, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we gated that for a while just so you know the 30 day return policy didn't hit, and you know pretty soon here in about 30 to 45 days, users will be able to trade their trades live on the market. And then so I'll be able to purchase, for example, a boater straw hat or a Utes hoodie. I'm just looking at the uh, yeah. the current Pudgy World rarity section. And then I can dress up my Pudgy Penguin online in Pudgy World. And then when I'm doing things, I can show off my traits. So it feels kind of like a, a plushie to NFT to like MMORPG progression, which I don't hate, to be clear. Is, is the end game getting people to like do a lot of digital interactions using their Pudgy Penguin avatar as their like digital self? Yeah, totally. And the beauty about the 3D Penguin itself is it's soul bound. So we thought to ourselves, how do we create an NFT strategy that's not dilutive, but actually additive? And so our 8,888 Pudgy Penguins are really our first edition Pokemon cards. They're the creme de la creme. They're the ones you can license and you know use to build businesses around and use to trade and they go up in value. And the Pudgy World Pudgy Penguin that you see in half the day is soulbound. It's our mass market Pokemon card. It's the digital identity that everybody can have. And so hopefully if Pudgy World hits escape velocity and gets to where we, you know, hope it could be one day, you know, hundreds of thousands of people will have a Pudgy Penguin as their digital identity that will champion and market and promote the brand as a part of this initiative. And so, you know, how do, how do we just bring NFT to the masses and how do we make that a value add to our community is ultimately the problem that I wanted it to solve. And it just mind you, we, we were going to launch the full pudgy world the way that we have it done, but we thought it would be fun and exciting to throw everybody in this lobby, build some anticipation, throw some Easter eggs, adapt it for a couple of weeks, but it's going to get pretty crazy there pretty soon. I don't think people are expecting what we have coming next. So there's going to be more Web3 gaming integrations. Is that going to be kind of the move there for you? Is it going to be more like a social app or arcade or MMO? I think it's more like an MMO social experience, right? Uh, You know, to say that we're the most, you know, we have hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank and we can build a $40 million game is just simply not the case. But what we Mm -hmm. can do is we know how to make things that are fun. We know how to make things that are social and we know how to make things that are viral. And so Mm -hmm. we do have coming up with Pudgy World is very much the world. Right now, you're in a white room, basically a blue room with two twin tower bergs, you know, and that oh, is, that is not, a, that's not what we've been working on for right. the last, uh, you know, that's not what we've been working on for the last six months. we got something way bigger coming, but we wanted to build up the anticipation, get you familiar and then open up the floodgates. Okay. I, I really appreciate that. 
because I was a little surprised that it was just two icebergs and a couple of doors I couldn't open, even though I did very much enjoy, if you do go to Pudgy World, hit shift and then you can like skate around on your stomach, which I discovered because I'm a poor typist and made that mistake by clicking the wrong button. But You're also a big gamer though. So this is like up your alley. I I am in the middle right now of two different Baldur's Gate 3 playthroughs. Yes. And I am. (laughs) It's not Pudgy World, but yeah. Well, no, but it's it's not that different because I mean, Mm -hmm. to draw the analogy in those games, you invest a lot in your character right? You work on fitting them out with armor and clothing and so forth. And in that game, you can dye your clothing different colors to different matching and so forth. So people really do care about their digital representation. Like that's a non-trivial point. And so I, I, I agree with where Luke is going with the Pudgy Penguin thing. But Luca, like, and this is not, again, this might sound pejorative, but it's not. Are Pudgy Penguins more aimed at younger folks? Like, is this something that you're expecting? Like, you know, people who are 14 to be really into because it is cartoon-ish if that makes sense and i think it's very cute yeah, it's, it's cute but like, yeah is that like the target demo yeah our, our target demo actually and really the, the people that we focus and position to target if you look at our content and our entire strategy is 18 to 26 year olds both men and women huh. and so i think there's a medium the reason why we target there is because i actually think that that's kind of you know I hope to not offend anybody, but like this is that to me is like the the cool, almost like the tastemakers, and then either the older generation kind of Ooh. follows <laughs> generation also kind of follows that. <laughs> Alex is out of the frame because he's above that age group. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, quickly <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry, go escape <laughs> velocity from the eighteen to twenty six group over here. Jesus, no, and and the, and the beauty I think of of what we're doing is the penguin to me and this is where i think our edge case lies in this industry and, and the niche in the market that i think we're going to tackle is the reason why i bought pudgy penguins is partly because i thought it was the most universal ip and i thought it could go for anybody there's a guy on our on our advisory board his name is jess and jess is like you know toy you know ip og in every industry possible or the biggest companies and he said luca i really think this pudgy penguin is for everyone I was like, well, Jess, that's not that's not, not going to help me pitch retailers. I got to have a pitch. I got it's got to go <laughs> some sort of you know angle in the aisle. But ultimately, like that's really the brand I want to be. It doesn't matter if you're you know what your ethnic background, what your gender is, what your profession or interest. There's nothing segmenting you or alienating you from loving a pudgy penguin. Mm-hmm. A five year old can love it. A sixty year old can love it. I think that's the beauty of what we're doing. Our core thesis, though, if you look at our content, you look at our positioning, and you, you'll notice us now that I've told you, our gifts, our TikTok, our Instagram, everything is positioned for an 18 to 26-year-old. And I think it just sways you know, to the top and to the left, uh, no matter where you go. Okay, that's interesting. I feel like we could talk about that for like 10 minutes based on the game and you know the graphics and everything in between. But I kind of want to shift gears as we wrap this up and talk about Pudgy Penguins NFTs prices. You talked about the 8,888 original Pudgy Penguins and the floor price for that has been like relatively steady in recent months. Do you think that's like a good or bad sign in the current moment where a recent study just showed that like 95% of NFTs are kind of worthless? You know, I, I remember being on the front lines of the bull market and nothing took projects from $0 to 20,000. And part of me is, you know, working my tail off. I think I'm really pushing boundaries and, and spreading a narrative. But when you look at the current landscape, I'm really proud of where we are today. I've said this for a while and I'll say it again. I have every intention and every expectation to be the number one NFT project in the world. I think the universal IP, the, the business model, the strategy, I think makes it the most desired collectible in the industry, whether it's that's the case today or not. That's the that's where we want to go with it. I think sometimes the tides of the market are not in our favor, but we got to do 
do what we got to do and just show up and show out every single time. So uh, actually, I, I want to skate in one more tiny one here because I think when people think about successful NFT projects, they often kind of default to the the board ape yacht club side of things. And they've worked to expand their IP with the Jackie Help Me Out Here other side. And they also had uh, mutant. I mean, apes. they have games too. Yeah. And they also released other things. And for what it's worth, they're not very cute. <laughs> so yeah. it doesn't appeal to mainstream audiences, the, in my opinion. But the mutant apes on, are not as cute mm -hmm. as the pudgy And penguins. like movies and stuff, yeah. And also, like, I'm not going to play a game called Dookie Dash because Shit Run <laughs> is not exactly the game that I wake up and aspire to play. <laughs> but I'm curious, Luca, how many NFT collections, projects, companies do you think can reach a great enough mindshare, to your earlier phrase, to actually survive? Because clearly Pudgy Penguins is doing some cool stuff. I mean, Jackie and I were having a lot of fun with it yesterday, frankly. Clearly, I, I would say the Bored Ape crew has done a good job reaching the cultural zeitgeist and spreading their, their name around. How many more can fit? I think there's room for a ton. I think it's just a matter of competency of the org and funding to get it done. You know, there's an immense amount of projects with a ton of funding, and they should be able to do this. They just, they should. And so we'll see, you know, if they can last and stand the test of time, but you know, the beauty about this and what's kind of transpiring now, and the probably the thing I'm most proud about is everything that we are doing, a lot of people are beginning to follow. And I don't look at that as like, oh, they're copying us or there's competition. I'm looking at that as the more people who copy us and the more people who do what we're doing, the better and more eyeballs this space is going to get. And ultimately, a lot of my frustration recently has stemmed from the fact that I know what I have and I don't know why I'm leading the charge you know, in bringing eyeballs here when people have two, you know, 20 times the amount of money that I do. And so they're, I think they're waking up, they're starting to see the writing on the wall. I know they're in boardroom studying the, the playbook and the rollout, and mm -hmm. I'm happy they are because it's a $430 billion collectible market. The NFT market caps at about mm -hmm. 6 billion today. If you think that we shouldn't own at least a huge fraction of the collectible market cap, I would say you don't know what you're talking about. And we have a lot of I think to your point about like why some of these people aren't using the money that they got is because they honestly just wanted to rug a project. We've seen this before where people create roadmaps, quote unquote, they tell their holders or whoever's about to mint their NFTs, hey, we're going to do all these amazing things. And then they don't. And Luca, to applaud you, I've seen it on Twitter. People do say like, hey, this guy bought this company, this guy, you, and you kind of turned it around and you created a toy line, you created Pudgy World. And for that, I mean, it's it's pretty impressive. So speaking on the survival point, though, what is the end game for you here? Toys are a good sector to get the mainstream movement, more adoption. But what do you think will be the next thing that brings this company to its next 400 million and so on? Yeah, I think the real key for us is short and long form content and really telling the story. We have not told the story of Pudgy Penguins yet, and we've been working on it for a very long time. And I think once we kind of ship that to the world, people will really understand what they're participating in. And it won't just become cute penguins on the blockchain with a dope community of smart mm -hmm. individuals and a good content strategy and a good entrepreneurship strategy. It will become something that everyone can sit around after dinner and, and enjoy and I think that will really be the big next leap for us, as well as some you know big partnerships and announcements and things that we have. But in totality, I want to be an IP company that tens of millions of people know and love. And if I can accomplish that, then the NFT will be where it needs to be. 
the toy business will be where it needs to be. The content business will be where it needs to be. And I think ultimately Web3 will be where it needs to be. Okay. Just because I'm an enormous brat, one thing that I was thinking about before this pod was Angry Birds because that was a, a digital thing that became an IRL thing and actually branched out to other mediums, including film, amazingly enough. And did you know that both of the released Angry Birds movies grossed in the nine figures? I found that out today. Mind-blowing yeah. and shows the power of these brands. So, Luca, how long until your Hollywood debut? Yeah, when's the movie? <laughs> as, as soon as Hollywood gives me a deal, that's not a, a deal that bends me over the rack. So uh, I'm waiting. <laughs> they call me. I've been waiting for a while now. All right. Well, they're listening to this podcast, so yes, so. huge in Hollywood. TechCrunches. <laughs> okay, Luca. To wrap things up, can you leave us with a piece of advice, maybe for other NFT collections or holders of failing projects? What would you say to them? I would say uh, being a web free business is working with your community, not selling things on the blockchain, and understand how to leverage the hive mind. It's the most powerful part about being in this industry. And if you're not doing it, I would say you're not building a web free appropriately. And then my shameless shills, go sweep your Walmart floor and go enjoy uh, what it is uh, to be a pudgy penguin ahead of the holiday season. They might not be around for Christmas, but you want to get them now. There we go. All right, Luca, thanks for coming on. And Alex, welcome back. And thanks for coming on. Pleasure. Thank you, guys. We'll be back every other week with interviews with top players in the crypto ecosystem. Catch us on Thursdays for interviews with experts in the Web3 space. You can keep up with us on Spotify, Apple Music, or your favorite pod platform and subscribe to our companion newsletter, also called Chain Reaction. Links to the newsletter and the stories we talked about can be found in our show notes and be sure to follow us at chain underscore reaction on Twitter. Chain Reaction is hosted by myself and produced by Yashad Kulkarni and Maggie Stamets with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening. See you next time.